We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Godspeed, John Glenn. Roger, zero G, and I feel fine. Okay, my feet are out. Okay, I'm out. Well, it looks funny out there to see my glove out there, Jim. Jimmy Moore, good idea. Good morning, Gordo. Yes, how are you? How does it feel for the United States to be the new record holder? At last, huh? By cooperating together in these new realms of infinity. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Hello and welcome. This is Michael Annis, and you're listening to episode 73 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. I recommend listening to episodes 71 and 72 before you listen to this episode. And now, Jiminy 8, Part 2. We ended the previous episode just prior to the launch of the Jiminy Agena target vehicle and Jiminy 8. This was the most complex mission attempted to date for the Gemini program. The primary mission objectives were to perform rendezvous and four docking tests with the Agena target vehicle and to execute an extravehicular activity, EVA, experiment. Other objectives included parking the Agena in a 410-kilometer circular orbit performing a rendezvous with the Agena, conducting systems evaluation, evaluating the auxiliary tape memory unit, and demonstration of controlled re-entry. Ten technological, medical, and scientific experiments were carried on board as well. In total, the mission was planned to last 75 hours and 55 orbits. On March 16, 1966, five months after Wally Sherall and Tom Stafford had been left at the starting gate during NASA's first attempt to launch two vehicles toward rendezvous on the same day, NASA tried again. The Agena was scheduled to launch at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and Jiminy 8, carrying Armstrong and Scott, was scheduled for launch at 11.41 Eastern Standard Time. The goal was to put Gemini 8 into an orbit from where the astronauts could chase the Agena down for rendezvous and docking. Here's an audio clip of the Agena launch. What's the countdown? Jay, we're getting close now. We're about uh, 2 minutes, uh, 20 seconds away. Uh, We can still see, as uh, certainly you can from your position, even better, uh, we can still see both launch complexes, that that, uh, vaporized oxygen still trailing from the Atlas Agena. Let's go to Jack Keane. This is Gemini Launch Control, and now T-minus two minutes and counting on the Atlas Agena launch. And at Launch Complex 19, they are just closing the hatches on the Gemini 8 spacecraft with astronauts Neil Armstrong and David Scott aboard. We have now closed the liquid oxygen vents on the Atlas launch vehicle as we reach down into the final phases of the count. Coming up at the 140 mark will be the launch vehicle going on the internal power of its own batteries. Of course, it's been on external power, controlled by the blockhouse power up to this time. 
Now one minute and 26 seconds and counting. All systems still looking good. A final status check going on at Launch Complex 14 at the present time. All appears still to be go. T-minus one minute and 15 seconds. Launch Complex 19, the crewmen are still working to secure the hatches on the Gemini 8 spacecraft. Now one minute and five seconds and counting. T-minus 60 seconds and counting on the Atlas Agena at Launch Complex 14. Our final check still looking good at this point. We have now armed the rain safety destruct system in the Atlas vehicle. To repeat, when we get down to the final seconds of the count, we will have a momentary hold at about the T-minus 18-second mark as we go on an automatic sequence from that time. Now, one minute and 35 seconds and counting. We'll get the ignition of the Atlas vehicle at about four seconds and expected liftoff at zero of the 95-minute mark in the simultaneous count. Now, T-minus 20 seconds and counting. T-minus 18 holding momentarily, now resuming the count. T-minus 15, T-minus 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3. We have ignition. There's ignition, and the Atlas rocket showers its pad with a bright burst of flames. It's airborne now, and it's rising into the sky, a beautiful liftoff. It's a smooth flight. Everything is going uh, as it should be. You can now hear the thunder as it sweeps across our NBC observation point. Typical presentation and alligators out there are pretty good shaking, I would say. It's a smooth flight. She looks good. rocket toward the rendezvous orbit. Its flight is smooth. It's continuing to climb into this clear Florida sky. It's a deep blue sky today. There's only a very few clouds to block our view. Just a tiny pin light of a fire now as the Atlas continues its flight into orbit. It was a smooth liftoff. And at this time, the rocket is beginning to create its own clouds as it enters cold air high above uh, the Atlantic Ocean. Its thrust is uh, being turned into small ice particles, actually, as it cools itself at this altitude. This is known as condensation, uh, and I'm sure a lot of you have seen these condensation trails before by high-flying jet aircraft. Everything is going according to plan. The Atlas Agena is well out over the Atlantic Ocean at this moment, with all going smoothly during the first half of this flight. The Agena target is on course, on a course of 83 degrees, almost due east, and the Atlas booster engines uh, have just about burned out all of their fuel at this time. In just a moment, the two booster engines on top of the Atlas will actually burn out and drop away, and the third ship will keep firing and moving along. Mark Biko, Mark, Mark Biko. Biko, Biko the did occur on the program time of two minutes eleven seconds. Boss, you're listening to it. The Atlas now about fifty miles away.
the Cape, altitude about 40 miles. You're listening to the voice of Paul Haney from Mission Control in Houston, describing the flight. Our next major event comes at 4 minutes and 37 seconds into the flight when a sequence timer is to be tripped. We have lost our view of the Atlas Agena rocket from this vantage point. Now back down to Rest Ward. We're 100 miles downrange. Right, Jay. And almost 100 miles downrange now. That was a late report. At the three-minute mark into the flight. Three-minute mark into the flight. So we're moving along smoothly now. That was uh, the first of two launchings today. The Atlas Agena now moving along. And we... Uh, recall that morning of October 25th when we thought we had a perfect liftoff. Everything looked good, only to be disappointed Three about minutes, five minutes into the flight. So we'll hold our breath on this Dynamics one. We'll see what happens. Good. Let's Earlier, go to Paul Haney. The first minute or two, it was somewhat low, a percentage point or two, but now it's uh, following the program value very carefully. We're 175 miles downrange, 80 miles high. And both Agena and Flight Dynamics advise the flight director that they are go. So it's looking good right now. We can still see on our TV monitor the camera picture. The cameras uh, at the tracking stations just south of here still following that tiny speck of light. Four minutes into the flight. Four minutes. Four minutes into and the flight. And a very smooth ride to this point. Hey, can we hold it? On the last trip, we had a backfire that um, blew the Agena up in space. So we'll hold our breath here for the next couple of minutes to see uh, that we do achieve the desired Four orbit minutes, on this one. 23 seconds into the flight. We're 275 miles downrange. Our altitude, 100 miles. We, um, and perhaps you did too, heard a couple of bursts a short time. Uh, Mark Fico, the Agena advises. That would be at 4 minutes 39, 4 minutes 40 seconds. Seco sustainer hash up now. Sustainer engine cut off. We're waiting word on whether the Agena achieved orbit. If it did not achieve orbit, that means the Gemini will not go this morning, so we're waiting. And the Athena controller now advises we have Vico, or the Vernier engines, the steering engines also have shut down. As yet, he has not confirmed separation. This is a critical point here, uh, Russ. Coming up in just about 35 seconds will be ignition of the Athena. Now, Athena controller confirms we do have separation. That's confirmation came at five minutes and 35 seconds into the flight it was this point right here nation last coming up in about 20 seconds at 5:53, five minutes 53 seconds we should have sbs 16 pound thrusters lighting off and about 20 seconds later the primary propulsion system coming up on six minutes six minutes into the flight and we do have sbs start This is the critical point. It has started. Six minutes, ten seconds. This means the Agena rocket is burning now and is pushing its own self into orbit. 
And we have. Primary propulsion system has ignited. It is operating. Well, here we go. We passed now the critical point that destroyed the mission. Uh, and and as Gina says, it looks good. We have about three minutes of flight here. That, it was uh, at the, that point when the primary propulsion system cuts in on the Agena that we lost the, the bird on October 25th. The Atlas launch vehicle lifted from pad 14 at 10 o'clock right on schedule. Its trajectory was first low and to the right of the intended flight path. The sustainer engine pushed the target back on track. In a little more than five minutes, the Atlas had done its job. Now it was Agena's turn. After a short coast, its secondary propulsion system burst into life. The crucial test for the Agena came with the firing of its main engine, and the engineers crossed their fingers and held their breaths, but it worked. The engine ignited and carried the target into a 298-kilometer circular orbit. Planners had wondered if the Agena could so position itself that astronauts could catch it. The answer was yes. With one up and one to go, attention now turned to Pad 19, where Gemini 8 was waiting to launch. Fourteen minutes before the Atlas Agena lifted off, Armstrong and Scott slid through the spacecraft hatches into their couches. As the flight preparation crew helped harness Scott to his parachute, they found one of its catches full of glue. Backup command pilot Conrad and McDonald pad leader Gunter Vint began digging out the glue. Just a little thing like that, Scott thought, might have cost us a launch. But... He could not help smiling as he watched Conrad sweat over the job. The catch came unglued and Gordon, the backup pilot, tried the fitting a few times to prove to Scott that it was working. Learning of the Agena's nearly perfect orbit, Armstrong said, quote, Beautiful. We'll take that one. End quote. Given the Agena's parameters, the Gemini launch vehicle needed to lift off at 10 40 and 59 seconds a.m. Here's the clip. Stage 2 pre-valve is coming open. 5 seconds. T-minus 20 seconds. Mark. Director Hodge had requested 11.40 and 59 seconds. Gemini 8 goes into the clouds high above Cape Kennedy. 
As the spacecraft comes out of the clouds, an aerial chase plane picks it up for a close look at what it's like to ride as a spacecraft crew on top of a booster. Mark, 50 seconds, you're looking good, eight. After 50 seconds, the crew releases the restraints which are required for seat ejection. Gemini 8 was inserted into an orbit of 86 nautical miles by 146 nautical miles, very close to the planned values of 86 by 145 nautical miles. site aboard is the first contingency that has passed successfully. A carefully trained team has been released and returns to other duties. With two good orbits, target vehicle and spacecraft, Gemini 8 had a head start on rendezvous and docking. The first hurdle had been cleared. The next challenge was catching the target vehicle. Procedures were much the same as those used for Gemini 6A, although this time there was no friendly target to point its attached transponders toward the spacecraft's radar. Armstrong and Scott began the chase 1,963 kilometers behind the Agena. 34 minutes into the flight, the sun set, and, in the engulfing darkness, the crew could see brilliant fires streaming from their spacecraft's thrusters, as the radiator in the adapter ring expelled water, the thrusters fired to compensate for a sideward turn. The Carnarvon Australia tracking station told them the radiator was not much of a problem and passed them to the flight director's go for a day's flight. Over the Pacific, the two astronauts had some time to sightsee. Molokai, Maui, and Hawaii came clearly into view. Armstrong tried to see Oahu, but cloud banks obscured it. Minutes later, Scott said to his partner, quote, We're going over Baja, California now. Can you believe it? End quote. But Armstrong had his eyes on Los Angeles, the ship basin, in the other direction, and his response was, quote, Oh, look at all the ships! End quote. Armstrong then spotted the Rogers Dry Lake bed. He looked for, but was not certain he found Edwards Air Force Base, where he had spent seven years piloting experimental airplanes. Over Texas, both men wanted to see if they could spot their homes, but work preempted this scenic interlude. At the low point of their first orbit of Earth, Armstrong aligned the inertial platform for a height adjustment maneuver. At T plus 1 hour 34 minutes, he touched off a 5 second burst of the thrusters for a small retrograde change in velocity to lower the apogee slightly. Armstrong noticed a problem in cutting off residual thrust. This resulted in varying computer readings and made it difficult to tell the exact deceleration obtained. On their Gemini 6A mission, Sherall and Stafford had been so preoccupied that they had not taken time to eat, which left them hungry as well as tired when they caught up to Borman and Lovell. Scott and Armstrong knew they would be very busy all three days of their mission, so each grabbed a package of food and started preparing a meal 
which seemed to take longer than they thought it would. But they had to stop and align the platform for a maneuver to raise the perigee. They placed the food packages against the spacecraft ceiling. Weightlessness was handy. Nearing the second apogee at T plus 2 hours 18 minutes, Armstrong fired the thrusters to add 15 meters per second to their speed. Again, tail-off residuals made it hard to get a computer reading. After this maneuver, Armstrong and Scott pulled their food from the ceiling. Although Armstrong's chicken and gravy casserole had been mixed with water for half an hour, it was still dry in spots and not much like home cooking. But he finished it and washed it down with fruit juice to keep from dehydrating. Then he tried a package of brownies which were stuck together and crumbly. They were hard to eat without scattering weightless scraps all over the cabin. The next maneuver was designed to push the spacecraft into the target's orbital plane. Armstrong yawed Gemini 8's nose 90 degrees south of the flight plan over the Pacific Ocean 25 minutes before completing the second orbit at T plus 2 hours 46 minutes. The command pilot punched the aft thrusters to produce a horizontal velocity change of 8 meters per second. He waited for the ground controllers to tell him if any adjustment was needed. Hearing nothing, he assumed his thrusting had been correct. Over the Guaymas, Mexico tracking station, Lovell, the Houston Capcom, suddenly cut in on the remote sight line to order him to add 0.6 meters per second to his speed. With only a minute to get ready, there was little time to turn the spacecraft and no time to align the platform. Dave Scott called it, quote, a pretty quick loose burn without much preparation, end quote. Armstrong and Scott then began the rendezvous radar test. They did not expect to get radar contact as quickly as Sherall and Stafford did, but the Westinghouse development team had promised target acquisition at 343 kilometers. The radar locked on solidly at 332 kilometers, which was good enough. Over the Tanarev tracking station at T plus 3 hours 48 minutes, Armstrong nosed the spacecraft down 20 degrees and applied the aft thrusters for an in-plane with the target velocity change of 18 meters per second. This gave them a nearly circular orbit close to 28 kilometers below that of the target. The spacecraft was now in position to start the terminal phase of the rendezvous. The crew sighted a shiny object 140 kilometers ahead, which had to be the Agena. After closing to a range of 102 kilometers, all doubts were removed. The target gleamed in the sunlight. Scott switched the computer from the catch-up to the rendezvous mode and watched the distance dwindle on the slide automatically. Just before sunset, the Agena suddenly disappeared, but at twilight its acquisition lights blinked into view. When the Agena was at the proper angle, 10 degrees above them, Armstrong aligned the inertial platform for the translation maneuver. Then he pitched Gemini 8's nose up 31.3 degrees and performed an angular deviation to the vehicle 
of 16.8 degrees to the left. At T plus 5 hours 15 minutes, Armstrong fired his aft thrusters, making two small corrections. High over the coastal Century Quebec tracking ship, stationed near Antigua Island, at T plus 5 hours and 43 minutes, Armstrong braked the spacecraft. Since he could see the Agena, Armstrong judged his braking action by eye as Scott called out radar range and range rate. At a distance of 46 meters, relative velocity between the two vehicles had been canceled. The second rendezvous in the Gemini program had been achieved. Here's the clip. This is Gemini Control Houston. About two minutes ago, Neil Armstrong called in over to Nana Reeve, and he was able to confirm at that time that radar lock had been established. Roger, do you have solid radar lock on with the Agena? Over. That's affirmative. We have solid radar lock. Uh, just a second, I'll give you our current range. Roger, thank you. Sounds good. Now we're indicating 158 miles range and elevation of about 4 degrees. After radar lock on, the crew will circularize their orbit inside that of the target vehicle. Okay, we've got a visual on the Agena at 76 miles. Roger, understand. Visual, Gina, 76 miles. Hello, Houston. This is Gemini 8. Uh, we're stationed keeping on the Agena at about 150 feet. Way to go, partner. You done it, boy. You done a good job. Do the thing. Boy, look at that. That's beautiful. Need the dipole? Do I ever? I see everything for that fella. Man, that's great. Man, that is really slick. A bit of all right. Okay, the first thing we really have to do, platform parallel from 650 to 710, and they're giving us the SPC loaded jaw maneuver. It looks like that nominal time. So they're going to give you that time. I'll check your old status display for you. I bet those lucky guys are just jumping up and down. Yes, Tampa's on. Yeah. Okay. Over the previous six hours, the spacecraft performed nine maneuvers to rendezvous with the Gemini Agena target vehicle. The rendezvous phase ended at 4.39 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with the spacecraft 45 meters apart with zero relative motion. Thanks for listening to this archive episode of the Space Rocket History Podcast. If you are financially able, please support the podcast by going to the homepage spacerockethistory.com and clicking on the orange donate button or the Patreon link. Thanks.